Hey guys, welcome back to Roundtable Rundown. I'm Gideon Hyman here with Alex and Will, and today we are very lucky to be with our special guest, Mr. Pedro Mora of The Athletic. We're really excited to have Mr. Mora here. He is a uh, beat writer for the Dodgers on The Athletic, and I want to talk a little bit um, to you, Pedro, about um, kind of The Athletic and what its philosophies are and why you made the decision about a year ago or something like that um, to switch mm -hmm. from uh, you know, general newspapers to The Athletic. Yeah, it's a, it's a decision that a lot of my peers have confronted themselves over the last uh, year to two years. And for me, it was a, it was a fairly simple calculus. I, you know, it's a, it's in that it's a, it's a startup venture, right? And, uh, you know, it's new. There's not a lot of name recognition, you know, explaining it to parents. Things of that nature can be, uh, can be confusing. But for me, I felt, I felt just as good or better about the potential longevity of this, of this thing, of the athletic, as I did about, you know, most newspapers in this country, you know, because there's, there's just not a lot of evidence that newspapers in their current form are functioning. So for me, yes, it was risky. But staying with staying with the old thing was risky too, and so I, I that's I guess was the, that was the selling point. And you know, obviously, there's a lot of freedom and flexibility that they offer that newspapers don't. You know, right. I no longer have a nightly deadline constraining me. There's just a lot more freedom. It's you know, I'm really happy with my choice so far, and I think a lot of my peers who made who made the same decision are as well. Right. And, you know, so since you came to talk to us at USC over the summer, um, The Athletic has obviously grown a lot since then. What would you say or have there been any noticeable changes um, during the expansion of The Athletic from, you know, the summer until now? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think that, you know, we're going to start to normalize our coverage a little bit more. You know, this year it was, uh, it was a bit uh, it was a bit touch and go. There, was, there, were, there were fewer designed plans for how our coverage is going to go across across the board you know and there's and there's value in that but i think as we get together and sort of formulate a plan you know we're doing more of these things called blitz weeks where mm -hmm. in, you know three or four times a year there's a week where we just, just bludgeon readers with all sorts of you know features that we plan out to right. plan to come out in this one week um to generate a lot of subscriptions and, and attention and i think that uh that's been pretty successful so far. We have another one coming up in a week here, and I think those that you know that didn't happen a year ago. The first one was in, was in July or August, mm -hmm. and so there's a there, I guess just planning is mm -hmm. probably the biggest thing mm -hmm. that we're doing more of. That's great, very cool. Uh, hi Pedro, this is Alex. Um, I yeah. was wondering. I'm a huge baseball fan myself, specifically a Dodger fan, and so I was wondering because obviously it is not easy to follow baseball. There's so many games and. They are um, longer games compared to other professional sports. So what inspired you to become a writer for the MLB? And um, what was your passion for baseball, I guess? I was obsessed with baseball growing up. Uh, I fell in love with it. My parents are immigrants from Brazil. They didn't know anything about baseball. But I, uh, I fell in love with it watching Vince Scully on TV, you know, in the, mm -hmm. in the Southern California suburbs, not far yeah. from where you guys are. Uh, and, and just, you know, became obsessed with the baseball cards, with the stats, the, the almanacs, all that sort of stuff. And um, I really, you know, what appealed to me, I think, more than anything, was the quantifiable nature of it. You know, mm -hmm. and then I started to get to my teen years, and it became even more quantifiable. Saber metrics and different data. You could, I really love the idea, and I still do love the idea that you can, you can define the value of, you know, what happens on a baseball field more than you can right. in, in life, and more than you can in other sports. You know, right. I know in other sports are catching up. It certainly seems like. You know, I don't pay that much attention to football or basketball mm -hmm. nowadays, but. When I do, I, I see all sorts of metrics and whatnot in football that were that were unheard of even six or seven years ago. It seems right. like, and so you know that that's great, you know. But I think that baseball 
just Certainly the fact the forefront. that it's, it's simplified. Yeah, it's not 11 on 11 like football is, which is it's always going to be harder to isolate. You know, I used to cover college football, and I would, you know, I would repeatedly try to understand like what made an offensive lineman good. You know, mm-hmm. I probably asked that question of 40 people, coaches, oh. players, um, staffers, and, and I, I never really understood what exactly it is besides bulk and hand positioning. And I think so much of a football game is defined by what you know what happens on the offensive line. I just felt like I was always watching something I didn't quite understand. With right, baseball, right. you know, I know that there are things I don't understand as well, but I get I feel like I get a lot a lot greater of a percentage of it. That's great. Um, so one of the things I also wanted to mention is like I know uh, with old newspapers and and where you worked before, it's it's uh, it's very difficult to you know measure how how your articles are doing or how any of that is um, translated but now that you're with the athletic it's kind of like a whole different um, scenario there but I was wondering still like how you can measure success after writing that article and is it like based on the number of clicks you get is it based on um, the feedback you get from other people like how, how do you quantify success in this field yeah, that's a great question. I think that we're still trying to answer that. You know, there are things, there are metrics that we use. You know, we do see how many subscribers see each story that we publish. We do see how many new subscribers each story generates. You know, I think those two things, you know, are, are pretty valuable. And at the bottom of each story, you guys are probably seeing there are three smiley faces that you can that you can click that delineate, you know, how you felt about the story. Right. Those three yeah. things in tandem tell a lot. But I think that. It would be um, it would be short sighted to, to only view those things as a metric of success. I think mm-hmm. you have to know that what you, the quality of a story that you wrote, uh, and and use that as you know one of your primary uh, sources of judgment. Because you know there are some some stories that are just always going to attract attention. You know, if it if it deals with controversy, you're going to generate views and subscribers, and that doesn't mean it was a good story in itself. It just had a you know a lucky topic, right? So there's a, that's important to always remember. You know, I wrote right. a story about her. one of the better stories I wrote this season. I thought was about a prospect in the Dodgers minor league system who's having serious problems. You know, learning how to hit, but, but had all the athletic ability in the world. And mm-hmm. because he's a prospect and not a uh, and not a major league player, it got it generated very little attention. Right. Not that many subscribers clicked on it. Um, right. And that you know, that doesn't mean that it was a bad story. But what it did tell me is that I'm not going to focus much on prospect stories going forward because sure. the fans don't really care. They want to read about the major leaguers. Right. So. That didn't that didn't tell me the quality of the story, but it told me that it wasn't a success for our adventure. There just wasn't enough interest. Mm-hmm. I see. Right, and uh, Will actually writes for our school paper here, and I'm sure you can agree that a good story comes from you have to be passionate about it. You can't just write about what you think will be be perceived as a good story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely, that's that's uh, probably the most essential part. Mm-hmm. So um, you have worked for the OC Register, the LA Times, and now the Athletic. Um, and have lot. You've had a lot of experience in sports journalism. What would there be any piece of advice you could give to our listeners um, who are prospective young sports journalists? Uh, the thing that I that I would that I advise people to do more so than anything else uh, is to read other sports writing, sports writing mm-hmm. that you uh, that you admire, things mm-hmm. that you care about. Because, like you were saying, like we we're saying, you have to be passionate about it. And if you're not passionate enough to read. Um, then I don't think you should pursue this as a, as a career, honestly, <laughs> right. because that's what's going to make you better. I mean, you're not going to be good unless you read mm-hmm. you know, 20, 30 stories you know, as, as often as you can. I mean, just like when you have an hour, just go in and read. You know, it's so easy to read things. Sure. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's incredibly easy. It's easier now than ever before. Sure. And so, it, you know, the, the way to improve is just to read and replicate. You mm-hmm. know, when I was when I was 
starting, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't very good at all, but what I could do was in times of crunch, when I had a deadline or something like that, I could always, uh, replicate what I'd seen before, sort of like a weak imitation, but at least made it serviceable, right? Because I had read so many stories, you know, by the time I was writing baseball stories, I had read thousands and thousands and thousands of newspaper baseball stories. So it just, it allowed me to understand what it might look like and at least, you know, at, at the very least provide something that is okay, you know, and because mm-hmm. before you're going to be great, you have to be okay. Right. Right. And a lot of people can't even get to okay. So, you know, striving to first get to, to serviceable or, or me, even mediocre is not, is not a, that's a, that's a, that's a legitimate goal. Right. Um, especially when you're a teenager, right? Like there's no teenager in America who's a great sports writer. So right. if you're trying to get there, you have to, you have to start at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Right. So I have a quick question for you as a uh, diehard Dodger fan myself about the Dodgers offseason so far and with the mm-hmm. the Reds uh, trade and the potential moves the Dodgers are making. And um, obviously they've been connected to uh, many headliners like Bryce Harper, JT Muto, you name it. Um, what do you think the expectations are for the Dodgers next year and how do you see the rest of this offseason playing out? Are you talking about expectations within the organization or from fans? I would say from a fan and from your expectations. Uh, uh, well, I think that fans want them. It seems clear to me. Are clamoring? Fans are clamoring for big additions. They mm-hmm. want. Uh, they want Harper. They want Machado. They want Real Muto. They want all three. <laughs> right. So that's not going to happen. Obviously, I don't think the Dodgers are going to get any of those. I think the Dodgers have correctly assessed that they're much better already than their divisional rivals, mm-hmm. um, and so therefore it doesn't really make all that much sense for them to make a huge push right now. You know, Vegas just came out with some odds. The ones I saw yesterday, the Dodgers are favored to be 13 wins better than the second best team in the NL West. Wow. Right. Yeah, they're getting already. better. And that's what, that, yeah. that's what their team before they acquired Russell Martin. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, uh, you know, they don't need, they just don't really need to make huge additions. Mm-hmm. You know, they project as a 95 win team right now. If it turns out, you know, in July that they need another starter, that they need another reliever, you know, they have the prospects to go out and get that guy. Right, right. Well, guys, so they're, they don't they don't really feel the pressure to make an addition. Mm-hmm. They don't. And I understand that fans want that. The fans feel like the team has come from the shortest world of back-to-back World Series titles, right? Right. And so that's that's frustrating in that regard. But also, you know, they could they could not make another addition and, and win the World Series. That that has happened, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for 95 sure. 95-win teams do win World Series. Right, exactly. Of course, there are ways to get better, but the way that they've built this organization is that they're in position to be pretty good every year for many mm-hmm. years to come, right? They have prospects, right. they have young players on cheap contracts, and so they're not going to expand that when they don't need to to get an easy spot in the playoffs. You know, that's already basically locked up the way they see it, the way the industry sees it. Right. So a lot of um, our listeners may not know about um, these prospects we're talking about, guys like Alex Verdugo or Kiba Ruiz or Will Smith. Can you talk about how um, we think that, especially Alex Verdugo, now that the outfield is a little more um, open, how we think that they are going to progress and um, possibly contribute to this Dodger team? Yeah, it... um Alex Verdugo is, is, is an interesting prospect in that he's not um, he doesn't really have star potential. He's a young kid, 22 years old from mm-hmm. Tucson. Right. Uh, he doesn't have star potential, but what he is is he's like a guaranteed solid player. Uh, right. As far as close to guaranteed as a, as a guy who's never fully done it at the major league level can be. Right. right. Scouts who see him say he's you know an above average defender, a great contact hitter, a little bit of power, you know, really athletic. He could probably play center field, but the Dodgers don't need him to do that. So right. that's. That's what they have there, and I think they're going to give him a lot of time in right field this season. Now that they've traded away both Matt Kemp and Yasiel Puig, right? 
the other two prospects you mentioned are both catchers, Will Smith, Tabor Ruiz. Yes. It seems like with their acquisition of Russell Martin, the Dodgers intend to give those guys the catching jobs here pretty pretty soon. I don't know if that's in 2019. It's probably 2020. But both of them are um, are believed to be pretty good defenders, and Kiber Ruiz is, um, has got a lot of potential as a hitter. He's only mm-hmm. 20 years old. He's done, right. he's done well up to double A. Uh, he's sort of like a he, – he's the closest thing to a phenom prospect in the system. He's the guy mm-hmm. who could be a star. Will Smith is more of a safer uh, choice. He, you know, he's hit really well in the minor leagues, but he doesn't really have the body of a great catcher. He's kind mm-hmm. of a small guy. So – I think between those between those two catchers, it's very likely the Dodgers have their starter, uh, you know, of the future in mm-hmm. the system. That's Amazing, good. yeah, it's very exciting to hear for Dodger fans, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to see how how the season plays out, and I think that they'll be very competitive and uh, compete for another World Series this year. Mm-hmm. So, Mr. Mora, um, I think that's all we have for you today. But thank you so, so much. It was so interesting talking to you about the athletic in your career and the Dodgers, and um, we really, really appreciate you doing this for us. Yeah, yeah, no problem, guys. Thank you for having me on, and, and feel free to, um, to reach out anytime. I'd be happy to do it. Thank you. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank Have you. a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Well, guys, that's all we have for you today. Hope you enjoyed this interview with Pedro Mora of The Athletic, and hope you guys tune in next time where we hopefully have another great interview for you guys. Go Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. Thanks, guys.